We're gonna bring y'all into our huddle. You are the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual. My producer, Marcus. What's up, Dev Nation? And our master of all things sound vaccine. How's it going? Boys, you already know it, but it does not stop me from being crazy fired up to announce that rejoining us, the Golden State beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, a man who covers every Warriors practice, press conference, shoot around in game, and the best DJ in the beat writing game, Mr. Connor Letourneau. What's going on, Connor? What? What was the last part of that intro? The best DJ in the beat writing game. Don't think that I'm going to move on from okay. the DJ jokes. Uh, I'm sorry, the connection out here wasn't great. And I, I, I heard the D as uh, something else. So uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, I appreciate the, the intro that I thought was really inappropriate, but was actually not appropriate in any way. I, I, I got your back, and I love when internet connection problems like add entertainment to the beginning of episodes for example when i introduced maxime as the master of sound one second before that when marcus said what's up you couldn't hear his sound for shit. so it was you know, this great uh, great beginning oh, and, and i gotta say i'm real stoked about that because you know it's my responsibility <laughs> to make this pod sound as good as possible and there's nothing i could do about um, marcus screaming into the microphone well, and it's also, it'd be like if I said you were the master of organizing, like, social dates right now during the area of the quarantine. There's no way our sound's going to be good, man. This is like, we're all on terrible microphones in different places. But I digress because, boys, I am so fired up to have Connor today. So we, I'm always excited to have Connor. You know he's one of our best guests. We love his knowledge. But today is an in particularly exciting moment to have him, and here's why. Connor has what I feel to be the greatest huddle-related locker room story ever told, and it just so happened that it came back into the national consciousness earlier this week. So what I want to do is set up what happened this week and then literally just turn the mic over to Connor so that we can dig into this story. Friend of the podcast, Ethan Sherwood-Strauss, released a book this week entitled Victory Machine. Uh, And what it is is a chronicle of the making and the unmaking of the Warriors dynasty. And it got immediate national attention. I think it was, in fact, featured on First Take just this morning. But that national intention also included this tweet from at the Shrillist, who is a politics editor and a senior American flag correspondent for New York Magazine. Quote, Reading at Sherwood Strauss's book at lunchtime, and so far, the most stunning detail in it is that KD listened to the Warriors Huddle podcast. That is absolutely unreal. Now, I see that. I get immediately fired up, but I also immediately reach out to Connor because, and a lot of people may not know this. Were you fired up or Bram? Well, a little bit of both, to be totally frank. In fact, I mean, I I shot off a text to the shrillest and said, we'll take any kind of compliment that comes our way because we don't get enough of them. But this one feels like a backhanded one. I'm not sure why he had to say he was shocked that Katie listened to it, but that's not the rabbit hole I want to go down. The one I do want to go down into, Connor, is the revelation that Durant listened to the huddle didn't come from Ethan Sherwood Strauss and it didn't come from New York Magazine. It came from Connor Letourneau. He was the guy who broke this story. And so I wanted to hear it from uh, from the lion's mouth himself. Connor, how did you find out that Durant listened to the huddle? Tell us the story, man. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was basically a situation where it was, uh, it was last, I want to say last March. Um, you know, it was maybe a couple weeks removed from 
when Kevin Durant got up and publicly called out media, specifically Ethan Sherwood Strauss, um, for all the our speculation about why he hadn't been talking for a week in the wake of all the reports about um, the Knicks targeting him and, and trading Christos Porzingis in the hopes of signing him and and Kyrie Irving that following summer in free agency. And that was obviously at the apex of all the chatter surrounding his free agency. So as we all know, uh, Kevin at that time was very much in his feelings and feeling very sensitive. And Kevin's a guy who always follows uh, what is out there and what is being said about him. And I mean that in a very literal way. I've had people close to him tell me that he he reads everything that is ever written about him. And this, this story kind of reinforces that. Um, basically, it was after a game in Phoenix. Uh, I believe the Warriors won against a, a really bad Suns team. And, you know, just like any other post-game locker room, I'm just kind of in the locker room um, waiting it out, <laughs> talking to a couple people, uh, standing in the, the corner of the locker room. And Kevin gets dressed and he's on his way out of the locker room. He's walking out of the locker room and he stops and he just starts glaring at me. And I was like thumbing through my phone or something like that. And I look up and I see Kevin Durant staring at me and I'm like, what's up? And he looks at me and he says, have I been good to you? And when he says that, obviously a million things are running through my mind. I have no idea. what is going on? Um, I'm like, okay, immediately my mind goes to a place where I'm like, what did I do? What did I say? I'm racking my brain in that moment, trying to understand why Kevin Durant is pissed off of me. Um, Cause he obviously was, he's standing there, as you know, he's seven feet tall. He's standing there. He's brandishing his knuckles, kind of like that schoolyard bully on the playground. Who's, who's like not actually going to beat the, the kid up, but he wants the kid to get, afraid and think he's going to get beat up. Um, it was like that. And he kind of was leaning over me, uh, brandishing his knuckles and kept asking, have I been good to you? Have I been good to you? Have I been good to you? Like over and over and over, probably a half dozen times. And I love that uh, detail. And what it reminds me of, there's a scene in Menace to Society, and I'm probably going far too back uh, for some of our younger listeners. But in that movie, uh, a murder detective has a guy in the box, and he's trying to get him to uh, admit to the crime. And he opens up with, you know you done f***ed up now, don't you? And he says it four or five times before he starts a single question to the guy. And what he was trying to do is intimidate the hell out of the suspect before asking him any questions. Now you see now, you done f***ed up, you know that, don't you? I see what I'm saying. I, no, I, I thought... No, so, you know what I'm saying? That you done f***ed up now, you know that, don't you? I, yeah, but... I, I, no, you done f***ed up, don't you? I, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you done f***ed up. And it sounds like that's exactly what was going on with Durant in that locker room. But I'm sorry, man, That back to you. So what happens? Right, right. So um, I tell him, yeah, you've been, yeah, you've been good to me. Yeah, you've been good to me. And keep in mind, our relationship up to this point had been very positive. You know, um, I had gone to Austin, Texas, just me and him, uh, a few months earlier for a story. Uh, I had exclusive access, following him around his alma mater, University of Texas. Um, you know, I had gotten some one-on-ones that 
uh, I felt good about, you know, recently leading up to this. And so there was no indication to me that we had any sort of issue. Um, and so for him to, to be acting like this suddenly when I honestly had not written anything different than what I had been writing that whole season, which was just the facts of the situation, um, you know, in the weeks leading up to that moment. So it didn't, I, I could not understand why he was acting like this. Um, so he, he asked me, have I been good to you about a half dozen times? And then I tell him, yes, what's up, what's up, what's up? And he doesn't answer me. And then he just kind of shakes his head and starts walking outside. And I have to keep in mind, while this is all going down, you could hear a needle drop in the locker room. Every single person in the locker room stops what they're doing and stares at us. You know, Draymond stopped mid-changing, um, all of them to, to stare at us. And, and, and they can hear you? Can, and everybody can hear on. the back and forth that's happening between the two of them? Yeah, everyone, everyone heard what was happening, and it was incredibly uncomfortable for everyone in there. Of course. And, and so he starts walking outside, like, toward the, toward the uh, bus. And so I kind of have to chase after him. I'm like, Kevin, what's up? Kevin, Kevin, let's talk. Let's talk. What's up, man? Like, let's have a conversation. Let's be mature about this. Let's, I didn't say let's be mature about this, but I said, let, let's talk about this. What, what is bothering you? Sure. And, and then he starts speaking in generalities and very vaguely. And he says, you know, you're over here just talking with you and your friends. You know, you, you come you come in here and you act like you're, you're all, we're all cool and everything. And then behind my back, you're just, you know, saying whatever the you want to say and doing whatever the you want to do. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like I literally have no idea what he could be referencing. <laughs> I am completely stunned. I'm like, what are you? And I even asked him, I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, you know what I'm talking about? And he, he and he says that and he kind of, you know, does that smirk where he's like looking down at me, like, come on, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm like, I genuinely do not know what you're talking about. Um, so please tell me so I can explain. Um, and he, uh, the, the thing that kind of tipped off to me what it was, was he was like, you know, he kept repeating, you're over here. You're you get overly, co- you're, you're getting a little too comfortable talking with your friends about, you know, me and Kyrie and, acting like you know what motivates me and acting like you know why I would leave and where I would go. You think I'd follow Kyrie? And that's when there was a little ding, ding, ding in my mind. And I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about now. Thank you. Uh, He was referencing the Warriors Huddle podcast that I had gone on the previous week uh, where you, me, and Maxime had a a long conversation about what would take – uh, what it would require for Durant to go to the Knicks. I, you know, the people I've talked to and some of whom are, are close to Durant have all told me that he genuinely does not know where he's going this summer. My my belief is that the strongest, the, the there's been a lot of reasons why Durant would go to New York that have been floated out there. Obviously, Bruce Kleinman being one of them. I've heard everything down to his dad's a fan of the Knicks. You know, there's been a lot of things. To me, by far the most important key of this it, piece of this is Kyrie Irving and what Kyrie Irving does. 
And it was about 40, 45 minutes into an hour and a half podcast. Uh, and I said flat out, if Kevin Durant goes to the Knicks, he's going to go to the Knicks because he's going to follow Kyrie. And he wants to play with Kyrie, and Kyrie's going to choose the Knicks, and he'll go there because Kyrie wants to go there. And I believe at that time, I was kind of the first person to lay it out in that those blunt of terms. You know, that kind of had been danced around a, a bit, but no one had actually come out and said he's going to follow Kyrie. Right. Um, and what bothered him so much was the insinuation that he would follow someone because, as we all know, um, he is very – he cares a lot about his his reputation and his standing in the ecosystem of the greatest players of all time and the idea that he would follow a lesser player. And as good as Kyrie is and as close of friends as they are, he's obviously not the caliber of player as Kevin is. And he hated that I would say on a podcast – that that Kev, that he would follow someone like Kyrie. And so once I realized what he was talking about, I explained, look, I'm not trying to uh, get inside your head. I'm, I was just answering a question on a podcast. It was my personal opinion, okay? I wasn't trying to pretend like I was inside your mind. I literally was just answering a question. And he, he, he's like, whatever, man, you don't know me like that. You know, stop acting like you know me like that. And then he left. And, uh, you know, I remember I was just stunned that he would be that obsessive, that he would listen, not that he would just listen to Warriors Huddle, but that he would listen 45 minutes in. And... Um, I even kind of said during our back and forth, I said something like I, I, I said something that basically showed that I was surprised that he was aware of that. And he said, just so you know, I listen to and I read everything. And he, he repeated that and stared at me and said everything kind of as a threat. And uh, I later found out that he has, you know, a couple people that, Specifically, their part of their job is to monitor all this stuff and flag certain things. So, someone there is probably someone in his camp that was listening to every episode of Warriors Huddle, and then when they heard that, they specifically flagged it and sent it to him. And so that's that's what happened. And and uh, you know, it was I'm not gonna lie, it was a little bit embarrassing at the time because it was a public scene um sure, and it was a little awkward and i i it took me a minute to kind of regroup after it because it was just such a surprising uh event and i called bram uh because i i just i needed to kind of i needed to kind of uh rehash it you know and kind of to, to what uh, you did mentally get to a place where i could actually write my game story yeah that night what you did uh, Bram, do you want to take us? Yeah, of course. You know, what? Well, and first, let me give you a couple of follow up questions and then I'll give you, uh, I'll finish off the story from my perspective. Follow up question number one When he said, I listened to everything, did he then finish that by saying, I listened to everything, especially the best Warriors podcast that's out there? Is that, is that how he phrased it? 
<laughs> no, he, he did not. He didn't say but he that's did. He okay. could tell that we were friends. You know, yeah, that, that I'll, I'll take to, that. Uh, I'll take that. The rapport that we built. Am I right in assuming that he was wearing a huddle shirt while you guys had this conversation? Was that happening to? <laughs> No, 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 no huddle shirt. Unfortunately, I'm sure it'd be funny if you send him one. I'm sure, I uh, uh, love that. Funny, like every day since we've had this conversation, I've sent him shirts and like notebooks and stickers. So no, we flooded him with huddle gear uh, to pick up my side of the story. So I'm out to dinner. Um, all this happens back in February, Connor. I, I looked up the the episode he was listening to and even went through the quote he gave you crap about. And it, and it revived this memory immediately for me. So I'm at dinner with my wife. I get a text from Connor saying, hey man, do you have a minute to talk? And I text him back kind of annoyed, like, nah, you know, I'm stuck at this dinner. I'll, I'll hit you later. And then he says, KD listens to your podcast. Nobody has ever gotten up faster from a dinner table in the history of dinner or inappropriate conversations at dinner. I immediately ran to the bathroom and called up Connor so I could talk to him about it. My wife must have thought I had like dysentery or something because I was in there for a good 25 minutes, you know, but it was what it was. Dude. What do you want? We found out that KD listens to the show. It's a big deal for us. Right, right. And so I remember talking to you about it and uh i was just i was just kind of talking to you like, as a friend like dude this thing just happened and you obviously were like wait he listens to the podcast but, but yeah. you know i think you had a hard time getting over that initial shock um but i, I think it, it says a lot <laughs> it says a lot about who kevin durant is uh and i think uh there's been a lot of examples of this type of thing but i think this is one of the better examples of you know, just how obsessive and how sensitive he is. And, and to follow that up, you know, about a week or so later, we were in Miami and I had been, kind of been looking for an opportunity to approach him just to kind of talk to him in, in a more, uh, in a calmer setting uh, about that interaction. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I have to be around this guy every day. At that point, things have become really intense with him and media and I just wanted to try to salvage our relationship as much as humanly possible without crossing any lines. And so I approached him in Miami and I said, Hey man, uh, just want to follow up about, you know, the thing in Phoenix the other day. Um, and he ended up going on, I'm not exaggerating, like a 20 minute diatribe about the media and how, uh, we're unfair to him and how we, we kiss Steph Curry's ass and how, you know, Clay Thompson can do something, but KD does it and we all notice and care. And, you know, he felt very ostracized by us and felt like we were holding him to a different standard. And, you know, he, he particularly, he specifically mentioned a couple stories I had written where I called him sensitive and, you know, he, he took issue with the word sensitive and which was funny because by having that conversation, he's reinforcing the fact that he's sensitive. Right. Um, yep. but I, I told him, I'm like, dude, being sensitive is not a bad thing. It just means you're in touch with your emotions. You're a human being. I am sensitive. Most people are sensitive. It is not a bad thing. And he's like, well, the connotation's really negative. And I'm like, I don't look at it that way. I don't think you should look at it that way. I think you're comfortable with who you are. Look, you are who you are. No one's going to take that away from you. And it almost turned into like a, 
a therapy session in some ways. Um, but it, it just is, those are the two interactions that when I look back on my three years covering Kevin Durant, I will never forget because it's just amazing to me that someone who has accomplished so much and lives a life that we would all envy in a lot of ways is just so uncomfortable with who he is. And it's really sad to be honest with you. Let me ask you this. So if I'm being honest with you, Connor, while KD was here, I didn't favor Steph, but I had already built a relationship with him as a fan. So when we talked about Curry, I probably did so in more glowing terms than I did Durant. I never said anything like we like Durant or I'm sorry, we like Curry more. I would never do that. That's preposterous. And we never went out of our way to be like, oh, Curry's a better player. or This is his franchise. But probably the vocal inflections we used or just the terms we'd used around him were more favorable, not because we preferred him as a person or as a player, but just because we had spent some time with him, you know, and, and we were just building that relationship with Durant. Here's why I give you that admission. You were in those locker rooms. You know, you've seen the local media interact with Steph for a long time and you watched them interact with KD the entire time he was in Golden State. Do you think there's any truth to the, the suggestion that what Durant's saying, that you guys favored or put Steph on a pedestal that he never reached? I, I, I can understand that feeling and there is some truth in it in the sense that this was always Steph's franchise and it was always going to be Steph's franchise. And right. you can make the argument that Kevin Durant is a better player. You know, when the all time lists come out that Kevin Durant should be higher in the list. Um, but when you're talking about a, a player's relationship with a franchise, that stuff really doesn't matter. It's about what you built together, how yeah. long you were there, your personal relationships. And honestly, to be frank, your likability and Steph is a very likable person. Yep. Uh, there is not really anything negative you can say about the guy. And he was there from day one. He was you know, at the beginning of his career with Golden State. They were one of the worst teams in the league. And he was the driving force behind them becoming a dynasty. And so there's always going to be that relationship with the franchise. And and he's always going to have that closeness, closeness with Joe Lacob and Bob Myers and Steve Kerr. And I think that Kevin, when he came to Golden State, he was hoping that Golden State would be his home. When in reality, that was never really realistic because he came too late for it to really be for for him to ever really be a foundational piece. And so I feel kind of bad for him because I think he had unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of what that partnership could ever be. That makes perfect sense to me. Marcus, Maxime, let me bring you guys into this and ask you this. If you're being honest and just talk about your relationships as fans, did you ever accept KD the way you accepted Steph? I mean, it's impossible. To to Connor's point, it's just not possible. There's there's such a history. I I wanted to, you know, like I I bought his shoes, I bought his jersey, um but it's it's just I, I think a lot of it comes down to him not kind of reciprocating that same energy. I think um, at first, like there was a year up front. The first year it was great, um, but over time, as his relationship started to sour, uh, my feelings toward him um, 
I guess never got to materialize to be as loving. I mean, you just can't develop the relationship in three years <clears throat> that you have with somebody over a decade. Exactly. Yeah, for me, I feel like the, I mean, the word accept is is one that, I don't know if that's the right word. Like, I think I did accept KD, but he didn't, it, it wasn't a long enough time period for him to kind of show that the reciprocal loyalty that, you know, he was looking for from the fan base that we give to Steph and Clay and Draymond. Like, when he took a smaller, a, a lesser contract so that we could keep Iguodala and Livingston, like, that was a sacrifice, and I think it's worth remembering because, you know, like, he did that so that the Warriors could continue to keep that team together and, and you know, make some more championship runs. But I think as soon as he continued on with the one-and-one deals and he didn't, he wasn't willing to commit long-term. It was hard for me to put him in that same class because Steph and Clay and Dre all, you know, were the opposite. They were like, this is how we do it here. We are warriors. You felt like they were warriors for life, whether that happens or not. And it just, you never got that full sense from KD. It felt like he wanted that same love and loyalty from us right off the bat and without having to earn it for a few more years like those first few gestures and coming to the warriors and taking a smaller contract they counted but you can't you can't speed up the entire process it, just it's, in those few years like it skips steps for me i i completely agree with you but i'm going to use a different word than earned you know, relationships basically are what stars and fans have. It's a weird word to use because we never actually get to talk with them, right? We don't spend any, like, actual one-on-one -on -one time. But you watch them so much and you see them every night that you feel like you have a relationship with your favorite players. Relationships, simply put, are a collection of experiences, right? The more experience you have with somebody, the deeper that relationship becomes. And the, the simple fact of the matter is our relationship with Steph I don't even know if, if the word better is appropriate. It's just deeper. You know, he was part of 19 win seasons here. We literally watched the franchise turn from a doormat into a dynasty with him. So it's not that we like him better or that we, we view them as, you know, some unassailable superstar. It's just that we've spent more time. And I think if, if given the opportunity and the amount of years that we had with Steph, if we had had that with KD, there's no reason to believe we wouldn't be showering him with the exact same love. But for him to assume that just because of his talent, we would suddenly accept him the same way that we've accepted this guy who's literally changed our sporting lives is ignorant. I, I think that that's ridiculous. But Brand, is, is, am I on? No, that, that's such a good point. And I, that's what makes me so sad about his ultimate departure is that if he could have just calmed down a little bit and stuck it out with us, I, I think he would have cemented his legacy and been um, for different reasons, but equally loved the way Steph is loved upon retirement. It's just, it's crazy to me that he would sacrifice all of that. This was an adoring fan base that was absolutely ready to adopt this guy into their life as a continuation of the doormat to dynasty run. It's just like, there. it's not that there wasn't a place for KD in the Steph dynamic. There absolutely was. He took us to a new level, and over and over again, you see fans that actually care about this sport continue to this day to say that they appreciate and respect what KD did for us, as I do too. I just, I think that he... He was too short term in his understanding of what was happening um, to be able to 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 spend enough time with us to develop those lasting bonds. 
if he had just given me long enough to learn that he listens to the podcast. I would have loved him forever. You know, I mean, like, even even as much as I love Steph, I've never heard that he listens to the huddle. So, I mean, that's that was the exact kind of relationship but I needed with Durant. But Durant you, you are who you are wherever you go, right? You take yourself wherever you go. And Kevin Durant is going to be unhappy until he figures out certain things in his own personality and his, his own life. Uh, you know, this is more, this was always a Kevin problem. It was not a Warriors problem. The Warriors did nothing wrong here. Um, the Warriors never, you know, in my opinion, they never slighted Kevin Durant. They never, you know, treated him unfairly. It was quite the opposite really. Um, but he just, he just has this, this like void inside him that is going to, make it hard for him to find happiness. And I actually, I read a, an old, I've been kind of going down the SI vault, sports illustrated vault recently. Cause I have a ton of free time. <laughs> and I found an old article from Tony Kornheiser who before he was on PTI was a phenomenal writer. Wow. And he did a, a big story on Rick Barry and it was right after Rick Barry retired from the league. And it was about how unlikable Rick Barry is and how, Rick Barry was really frustrated because he couldn't get any broadcast or, or announcing gigs or coaching gigs, even though he was incredibly accomplished, Hall of Famer, you know, averaged 35, 35 points per game one season. And it was because he was just not a likable dude. Right. And there was this in-depth piece about how upset and frustrated he was with his own personal shortcomings that were impacting other aspects of his life. And I read it and I found myself thinking about Kevin and I'm not saying that Kevin is a completely unlikable person, the way Rick Barry might have been. Um, but he has that in him, you know, he has some of that Rick Barry in him in some ways. You know, what's really interesting to me. And so, I mean, who knows, we'll never get to talk to Durant, but what it sounds like is approval did mean something to Durant. He wanted complete adoration from the fan base. And the reason I think it's interesting is so, and, and let me start back on Steph. One of the things that makes Steph so damn likable is that we can associate with him. And for him, it's his lack of, um, of immediately apparent athleticism. Most NBA players we view as, you know, next step of evolution. They're seven-foot gods. They have no body fat. They're gigantic. Steph doesn't fit into that category. We associate with him because he doesn't look like one of these gigantic freaks of nature. Let's use that as a backdrop. If Durant had just accepted the fact that he is sensitive, if he just came out and was like, yeah, man, look, I am. I read everything and just did this on ESPN, not just to you. That I'm the kind of personality trait, even though I am such a good basketball player, I also wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm so worried about what you guys are saying. And I read all these articles. That's the kind of thing that made us or would have made us associate with him. That would have brought him the type of adoration that he didn't get here in Golden State. And so it's kind of an ironic um, situation, you know, that instead of embracing the thing that probably would have brought him even closer to the fan base, he was terrified of it and ran away from it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it, it's a fascinating personality study and, a, and a just a look at the human condition because the Warriors dynasty kind of ended because of one person's personal issues. Um, 
and it, it, it just reinforces how uh, fragile these dynasties are and why they're so special and rare. And so, I, you know, I was preaching the whole time I was covering those finals runs, those championship runs, to Warriors fans, appreciate this because it's not going to last forever. And, you know, even though I think the Warriors will be much better next season once this once play returns, there are no, there are no guarantees that they'll ever be that good ever again. Um, it's just it's, it's such a high bar to reach. Maxim, I need you to erase that part immediately. And also, when he said the Warriors dynasty ended, make it say paused when the Warriors dynasty paused. Uh, Connor, we like to be unreasonably optimistic here. We don't need your stupid realism and the fact that we may not be on top of the world Whoa, despite having realism. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> realism, Bram. <laughs> that a boy. That a boy. Okay, uh, cut that part too. That was absolutely <laughs> terrible. Let's uh, let me push us towards a topic that might be a little bit more fun, boys. So obviously, this podcast finds us all doing our best to uh, abide by these social distancing rules. We're all stuck at our home quarantining. And it led to this question that I've been asking people randomly, and I really want your guys' take. So if you could pick from anybody in the NBA, and we won't limit it to this time frame, anybody uh, from the NBA at any point that you could be stuck in this quarantine with, who would you pick? And let me add a little caveat. We're talking about in our house. We don't get to go to their house. Like if you pick Lake Up or something, we're not in some giant mansion. Whoever it is you pick has to come to you. And to give you guys a little bit of time to think, I'll go first. The guy who I would really want to be stuck with is Steve Kerr, and here's why. I feel like he's the kind of personality type who would be down on whatever. Like if I woke up and was like, let's play video games, he would definitely do that. He seems like he is in tuned um, to what we would need around the house. You know what I mean? I feel like he'd be the kind of guy who would like help with the dishes. He would have an unbelievable wealth of stories. You know, we could talk about the jailblazers. We could talk and we could talk about almost anything. And I am worried that he'd be a little bit annoying. He'd be the kind of person who would try to make you do things to better yourself, even when you didn't want to. Like you'd come into your room and find like a book left on your desk or something. You'd resent him for it, read it, and then love it and have it change your life. You know, so I'm going Kerr. I think he would be the perfect quarantine partner. You know, you kind of stole my answer there, Bram. Uh, <laughs> I, for the exact same reasons, uh, I think Kerr would be incredible. Because the one thing that's important with a quarantine buddy is you need someone that's low maintenance, too. Absolutely. You need someone who is not needy uh, and is not going to ask you to keep their attention 24 hours a day. Uh, you want someone who you can go hang out with for an hour or two and then, you know, go read a book or play some video games or do whatever on your own and then maybe circle back to and hang out with for another hour or two. And he he would be very easy and minimal amenable to that. If I had to choose a player, um, there's a few guys. I mean, I, I, I'm going to keep it with the Warriors just because I know those guys the best. There's a few guys, the young guys, who are, are super chill guys that I think would be fun just to kind of hang out with um, for an extended period of time. Obviously, Clay Thompson is, is probably the clearest answer um, because Clay is a guy who is a kid at heart and is really good at making his own fun. You know, the Clemonades at Washington State and the archery in the living room. He, uh, he would not be bored at all. And so, you know, if you're just sitting around the apartment looking for something to do, he'd be like, hey, uh, let's, let's set up an archery range. And you'd be like, okay. And then you'd have 
entertainment for the next day or two. Um, but don't you feel like he'd trash your house? I feel like with Clay, it'd be hella fun for about a week. And then on that next Monday after the first week, you look around, you've got arrows stuck in your wall. Nobody's done any dishes, you know, like the living room's all f***ed up. Wouldn't we kind of have to worry about that with Clay? Yeah, but he's also a multimillionaire and he's a, a nice guy. And I'm guessing if he had any damage to your apartment, he'd be like, dude, I got a door. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'd, I'd, I'd be concerned because you'd have to bring somebody in, but I feel you. Uh, MT, who you got? Um, I mean, I would have said Clay, but, you know, since Connor just laid out those exact reasons, I'm going to go a, throw a curveball and show, show support for um, other Durant. players that deserve recognition. <laughs> no, I'm going to go WNBA and pick Brittany Jackson. She's pretty hot. And, <laughs> you know, if you have to be quarantined with somebody – then, you know, might as well be somebody that is is easy on the eyes. And I've seen her do uh, post-game interviews and talk, and she's intelligent, too. So I just figure if I'm going to be stuck with somebody, you know, might as well be a woman. Maxine, what do you got? So I'm thinking long-term. I'm thinking that the outlook for when we're out of the shelter in place is a long way off. I'm thinking we might even get to levels where society starts to degrade, where we get into situations that might not Don't be too far off from the zombie apocalypse. Don't say it, man. And Come so on. I'm going Muggsy Bogues. That's <laughs> a terrible. That's a terrible answer. I, it makes me angry when you just first started. Like the first couple syllables made me angry as you jumped into that. It's a terrible answer. Hey, listen. When I'm alive and the rest of y'all are dead, don't come. <laughs> 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 yeah, we will not be coming to. So Connor, just so we can bring you in, this this. Maxine likes to remind us once a month or so of the worst take ever given to any question ever on a podcast. We asked him if you had to pick a player to help you through a zombie apocalypse, who would it be? And he picked Muggsy Bugs. So we found a way to bring us right back down that terrible response now, which uh, I'm not even going to give any more love. In fact, instead, I'm going to change the question. Boys, who would the worst person be to be stuck in a quarantine with? And again, I'll steal the mic and go first. I am going Joe Lacob. So what I think would be a real problem here, man, is like if you get stuck with somebody who's used to having everything else catered towards you, somebody who has huge money, lives in a mansion, probably has like so much help constantly, has not had to clean up uh, for himself for, you know, God knows how long. So I could imagine with Joe, maybe for three, four days, we get along really well. I'm kissing his ass because I'm a Warriors fan, you know, and like I, I want him to give me free tickets, something like that. Six, seven days go by, that starts to uh, starts to wear off. And then, I don't know, a couple weeks, we hate each other. Like, doesn't he seem like the type of dude, like he would he would eat in his room and then just put the dishes on the outside of his door with the door closed as if there was room service or something like that. I don't feel like he would help with anything. We would not like the same television shows. I just don't see it going well between Joe and I. So, unfortunately, like, uh, it just can't be you and I, man. We, we can't be quarantined together. I'm sure he's heartbroken over that. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll go next. Um, my player would be Rudy Gobert. And it's because I know for a fact he was. Just... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I said it's too soon. But you know, for too a fact, soon. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just know I wouldn't want to be quarantined with him because I know he would go out and be like, I need to get fresh air. And he would just come back 
after touching stuff and bring it back in and we have just be a never ending perpetual cycle in the household of us having it. So definitely he'd play games. He'd, he'd come in after he went outside and grab your phone and like touch your phone all the time and touch your face or come close to touching your face. You know, like, God damn it, Ruby. I told you stop doing that. I, I could definitely see not wanting to. Be that there. said, all that said, if, the relationship between him and Donovan Mitchell really is unsalvageable, and they trade one. I hope they trade Gobert to the Warriors, and he is the person I would most want to hang out with. So I got a trade for you. I got a trade for you. So before we go to Connor and Maxime, I was messing around with the ESPN trade machine today. I got two trades, but I only want one response. All right. Here's a fake one, although it works in the trade machine. You could trade Wiggins for both. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. <laughs> if, if, if the Warriors decided like, hey, we can fix this relationship, they could do that, but naturally that'll never happen. Here's another suggestion for you, and this also works money-wise. Andrew Wiggins for Gobert and Royce O'Neal. Would you say yes? Well, the, war- the Warriors would say yes, absolutely. I would. I don't think, I don't think the Jazz would. I think they'd hang up pretty quickly on that. Connor, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that gets you in the door at all with the Jazz. I would do it if I was the Warriors, but that doesn't, that doesn't get it done for the Jazz. The Is Jazz there, look at him as, as the, the face of the franchise long term. It's weird because when I came up with this trade and then envisioned me dropping it on the pod, in my little fantasy, all three of you were like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like, how did you even think to put that together? So this wasn't the response that I was if planning on. I did I did do that the other day when you were on Warriors Off Court and you brought up uh, a Donovan Mitchell trade scenario. Yes, no, that that's factually accurate. And you sounded more surprised, like, oh, my God, I can't believe you came up with that. Not like, what an amazing idea. More like, I thought you were an idiot and you came up with that. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily matter. I stole your guys' answers. Maxime, who would you not want to be stuck in a uh, quarantine with? Kyle Kuzma. Why? Uh, so, so many reasons. Dude is like uh, not that great, but is trying to talk himself up as if he's on equal footing with LeBron and AD. Um, but, you know, I mean, some of his post game interviews uh, leave a little bit to be desired in terms of um, deep analytics, let's say. But I think the most important reason is just like I happen to watch um, somewhat accidentally one of the. Uh, it was the first time I've ever seen a scene from Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and like that, it sounds like a complete nightmare to be in the same house, cooped up with anybody that's on that show. And Kyle Kuzma may or may not be dating um, Kylie Jenner, so I, I, yeah, no, I'm not gonna touch that with a 20 foot pole. Marcus Connor, do either of you believe that Maxine doesn't watch that show every day? Not for a second. I don't. Not, not for one second. Yeah, not no, for one no, second. That's no. that's exactly right. Gunner, who would? DVR to four star. Who's your guy, Connor? Who do you want to avoid? Uh, honestly, probably Andre Iguodala. Why? Whoa. Uh, <laughs> just because Andre is the type of guy who uh, I think he's a phenomenal player, but he's the type of guy who definitely thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And I think being around that person all the time could get really old really fast. I I feel like he would ask you a bunch of loaded questions all the time and then just shake his head at your response regardless of what you said. You know, like, uh, Connor, how do you feel about race relations in America? And, like, you'd have some thought-out response, and then he'd just look at you, shake his head, and then go back to reading. And you spend the entire time feeling terrible. You know, like, it'd be a, a series exactly. of interactions any, like that. Any self-esteem 
or self-confidence I have would be eviscerated by the time <laughs> we got out of quarantine. So <laughs> can't have that. Yeah, I, I completely understand that, boys. Uh, let's move to a topic we haven't done for a while. It is called Look Around the League. And for it, we're going to be leaning on Marcus. The idea is pretty simple, boys. Marcus has been nice enough to look around the league and pick out three stories that caught his attention. He's going to throw those three stories to us, and then Maxime, Connor, and I will get to vote on which of the three you want to talk about. MT, what'd you pull? Look around the league. Cool. So I just wanted to first start off, I mean, we're a fun podcast, and you know, there's enough heavy news out there. Um, that we don't want to repeat it here. We try to have fun and bring some levity. But on a serious note, just wanted to shout out um, to Carl Anthony Towns and his family. If you're not aware, his mother passed away due to complications from COVID-19. And even though we're Warriors fans here through and through, um, you know, the players have a brotherhood and I think the fan bases also have a brotherhood. So, um, you know, sincerely from the Warriors Huddle podcast to Carl and his family and friends, we just want to send our condolences. So that won't be one of the stories, though. Um, first up, uh, The Last Dance. So the, the documentary featuring Michael Jordan is airing early. ESPN heard the desires of the fans and decided to release a little bit earlier. Um, super excited to hear it. It's got supposedly a bunch of crazy stories in it. So we could talk about what we're looking forward to most about the series. Um, once people see it, will it impact LeBron fans on if Michael Jordan really is the best and impact that debate? And it probably contains a bunch of crazy, never heard before stories. So maybe we could discuss which warrior would be most interesting in that same scenario for the best stories we've never heard of. Uh, story number two. Dr. Fauci, uh, the one who's leading kind of the <clears throat> COVID recovery plan from, for the United States from the federal government level, laid out a plan that said sports might be able to come back if it adheres by a few steps and rules. So if that were possible, um, it sounds like there would still be no fans. Uh, we could talk about, is that good? Would you want the league to come back even if there were no fans, if you had to sit you know, six seats away from somebody with a half full stadium? Um, figure out if, if that's a good solution just to get sports back in our lives. And the third and final story, um, today would have been the last day of the regular season of the NBA, so our RIP to the season. And it also would have probably been the last game of Vince Carter's career. Um, dude has played forever, I think four decades, something crazy like that, and he's spanned across. So. Uh, we could talk about looking back on his career and, in particular, in my opinion, what was the best in-dunk, in-game dunk of all time in the Olympics. So When he jumped over that big. French dude. Uh, and also yeah. former former warrior. Uh, it was warrior. only for a draft night. So it makes sense. All right, so the three I'm picking up, former warrior Vince Carter's career and the fact that he's leaving a fanless game possibility and whether or not the league will return and then Jordan, the man, and the ESPN 30 for 30 that's coming out on him. Boys, my vote would be towards the fanless games. Um, the Jordan stuff really catches my attention. And I, in fact, I think one of the reasons this is coming out and Jordan has finally allowed the league to use his likeness is because he's worried that LeBron's legacy is catching him and he wants to remind everybody out there who never watched him play just who the hell he is. So that topic speaks to me, but not I'm going with when will the NBA return? And if it does, uh, how would they do the fanless games? 
Yeah, I'm, so, I would go with that as well. I think that's the, the newsiest topic, and I think it's relevant. Maxime, do you agree? Boom. Yeah, of course. Although I, I am very intrigued by who the equivalent warrior would be for wanting to get all those untold stories, but maybe we'll leave that for another discussion. Draymond Green would be my answer to that, but let's jump into the fanless games. Um, and I know, first let me say, Marcus, what you said about Carl Anthony Towns' mom was the classiest thing we've said on this show. I couldn't echo it more, and I appreciate you putting it out there. One of the reasons I rehash it, um, and I'm, I'm not making it the topic for a look around the league, but the idea that players' families now are not only being directly impacted but have literally passed away make me feel like this league's not coming back for political reasons, if nothing else. I don't see them restarting a season when literally family members have died. Am I being off base on that, Connor? Does does this change your analysis on whether or not we'll see another game this year? I mean, obviously the NBA is coming back at some point. I mean, it definitely hits, hits closer to home for everyone in the league. It's one thing for certain players to, to get – COVID-19, but for a star player's loved one, for his mother to die from it and and for him to come out like he did a week or so ago and have a very heartfelt, candid, uh, you know, soliloquy about what that means for him, I think it, it, it resonated even more with everyone throughout the league. That being said, it, what's going to dictate what the what the league does going forward is is – are things outside the league's control? It's uh, health protocols. It's you know uh, what what is what they're hearing from the center center for disease control and all of those types of uh, outlets out there that are kind of help setting the standard for for what everyone needs to do going forward. So um, I personally, and I know this is hard for a lot of NBA fans to hear, but I personally feel like the league should need, need to just wave the white flag yeah. and give up on trying to have any sort of playoff this season and just try to return on time next season. Cause we're, we're looking at a reality where they might not even be able to start next season on time. Um, and so you won't, you don't have the playoffs and then you start next season in December or January anyway. Uh, so the idea that they could play any semblance of a playoff series or a playoffs and then still return by December or so next season just doesn't seem realistic when you're looking at everything at, at, at play here. And even if they did try to play the playoffs in some way, way shape or fashion, they, it would be a mockery, you know, it right. wouldn't be, you know, it, it almost wouldn't be fair to, whoever won it because it wouldn't be a legitimate contest. You know, you'd have guys who'd be grabbing their shorts, who'd be out of shape. You'd have uh, no energy in the building. And these guys really vibe off the energy of the crowd. That is an enormous thing. There was actually a really well done story by, by Mark Stein in New York times recently about how Taiwan, because uh, Taiwan has handled COVID-19 so well their professional basketball league is the only basketball league in the world that's still playing and they're playing without fans. And Mark Stein talked to players, you know, American born players are playing in that league. And they were talking about how hard it is to play without fans. And when you're talking about the NBA finals, that that's an asterisk that is just not even worth having in my book, wave the white flag and try to get things going in October next season. 
It's a really interesting take. I'm not even sure if asterisk is a strong enough word. We'd almost have to come up with another symbol, something that really undermines the accomplishments or accomplishments from this year for all the reasons you just said. Um, let's assume that, that so I heard you and I think we're all on the same page. I'm not expecting these guys to be speeding back. But for this next question, assume that they did, right? Assume they came back and they had fanless games. MT, would you watch a fanless game? I would, because I'm just assuming that they would figure out a way to pump noise into it and make the experience for the fan at home um, a little bit closer to what we're used to. But it would definitely be different. I mean, I, I, I would watch it more so just because I'm, I just miss sports so badly that I'll take whatever I can get. It's not because I think the product would be amazing. I think it would definitely... Um, take a hit in the quality just because to Connor's point, like players feed off of the fans and, you know, vice versa. So when you take that element away, it just, it just makes it feel completely different. But, um, you know, like I don't, I don't see any other way around it. It's, it's uh, to your, to your asterisk point, there's, you know, the strike season when the Spurs won it after the shortened strike season already has a bit of a kind of asterisk on it. This one would be completely different. There's just no I don't even know how you would get up as a player to play for a season right now with all this going on. It doesn't it seems like it's not as important for what is going on out there to kind of go sequester yourself in in a hotel and not see your family and play this weird round robin tournament for two months. Well, you know, isolated. And, and let me let me say one more thing. Uh, this is such a tenuous situation because let's say the league announces, you know what, we're going to start up next month, in four weeks. So you have four weeks to get in, to get right, to, to get in game shape, and and all these things. All that needs to happen is one person associated with the NBA in any way to get to get COVID nineteen, which feels given the numbers, given, given the, the curve right now, given where we're at, it feels like an impossibility for, uh, for that not to happen. And, uh, you know, China tried to restart recently and they had to shut down because, you know, people, people kept getting COVID-19. I think what you guys have done for me has really helped clarify my thoughts. Um, and I want to put the two things together. So I agree with you, Connor. I think they should wave the white flag. I also agree with you, Marcus. I think I would find myself watching fanless games. Putting those two things together, I hope the league waves the white flag now so they can start figuring out how to broadcast fanless games if that's in fact what needs to happen when when next year starts because there's no guarantee that all this is going to go away in a year. And the reason I say that is all of us, not just the NBA, every single person who works for a living is relearning how to do their job right now. There's a learning curve because we're all doing it in a different place. We're doing it from the house. So, you know, for example, my wife's a fourth grade teacher. She's learning to do distance teaching with these kids. She's been a teacher for 20 years, but suddenly she has to do it in a brand new way. The first few weeks were awful. Now she's getting it. That's going to be true for the NBA, right? They're going to have to figure out the best ways to broadcast this, What, how they pump in the sound. Um, should they focus on the players talking to one another just all the all the learning curve stuff they're going to have to go through and if they try to figure it out on the fly like they are right now you know all these concurrent decisions should we come back how do we test what do we do we're not going to get their best product but if they give themselves some time 
you know, figure out, all right, this year is not going to happen. Next year is let's start considering contingency plans. Then we would still see them put their best foot forward. Maxine, where are you at on this? Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think there's a actually a really great opportunity to look. I I'm actually advocating for something a little bit different than just pumping in noise and trying to make the experience as similar to what it would be in a real stadium because it's just not going to be. There's something that you see a lot in in like in game design called the uncanny valley, right? Which comes from like robots. The more close to a human a robot looks there's this period at which right when it looks completely different you can kind of associate with it but as it gets closer to looking like a human you are more and more aware that it's not actually a human um, and that's the uncanny valley and that's like not a place you want to be at because it's going to remind you of sure. what it felt like to be in the stadium so forget all of that there's so many great opportunities for things like you mentioned i would love to hear not just the trash talk but like some of the strategy that's going on on the court just like the little like draymond yelling at clay to get into position or you know whatever that kind of stuff like that's interesting i think there's ways to um introduce a lot more interaction with the fans. I don't know what form that would take, but I think the NBA has actually a tremendous opportunity to elevate um, home viewership uh, beyond, even so that when fans come back, there's an engagement with the product that feels more like what it's like to be in the stadium for very different reasons. I've snuck down a couple of times to the front row. I've never been rich enough to actually uh, afford a seat there. But when the Warriors were terrible, you should be able to move around Oracle pretty uh, easily. Yep. And so I've gotten down and I had my feet on the floor on a couple of occasions. And I can tell you that no sport changes more than basketball does. And it's not just because they're basically out there naked and they're gigantic human beings. It's also because of the interactions that each one of those players are having. I mean, they are talking so much crap to one another. And if they were able to focus in on that on a broadcast, if, you know, like literally highlighting the shit talking sessions that are going on between two players, have at the halftime uh, analysis, have the analysts look at the crap talking. I mean, there are other things that they can do to, to you know, really heighten the entertainment that the game still provides, but it's going to take a while for them to figure out how to do that, which is why I think they should you know, give themselves the runway to create that product. Yeah, I remember when we had, it was on a podcast a while ago when we were like, what are ideas that we would have to make the experience at Chase different? And one idea was just to have a single fan from each team be like the representative for all fans. I mean, I think that would get a little kitschy, so I don't think that's the right solution, but there's something in there where even if you had a super small number of fans, they were spaced out appropriately. Like, how do you change that environment to fit something that's a little more intimate? And then, you know, you, you have the players and like you said, the announcers, kind of react to it and be a little more close to it and you can have those fans interacting with fans as well throughout the game so i think the the proximity of fans to the nba court and the fact that nba players don't wear helmets and are a little more visible and recognizable um, compared to nfl or uh, major league baseball stadiums is a good thing and the nba has an advantage in that and that they can figure out new solutions if full stadiums aren't possible where they can still put a product on the floor and have it be somewhat interesting. And with the changes that they just made to the all-star game, 
you know, it's a small sample size and not an apples for apples comparison, but um, I'm appreciative that we have Adam Silver kind of leading exactly the way right. to try to figure out what those ideas are, what are the best ones for this league and to make them actually happen. And we know he'll try new things, um, yeah. which is not something you can say a lot about a lot of commissioners. Okay, boys, uh, let me push us into our last segment. It's my new favorite segment. In fact, uh, we have done it the last three weeks. This is going to be a little bit of a tease, and you'll see why in a moment. So the segment is called Brackets, and the concept behind it is crazy easy. It's that we all love to fill out brackets. Who the hell doesn't love filling out a bracket? So for this segment, we come up with a question, and then we use a bracket to figure out its answer. Now, the question is, who is the best fictional player to have ever played basketball? We're talking about people like Teen Wolf or Jesus Shuttlesworth, those kind of guys. And we've got a bracket, but here's why it's the tease. So far, we've gone through a few brackets, but we've never got to incorporate the listener's opinion. And it's your guys' opinions that I am desperate to hear. So what I'm going to do is this week read you guys our bracket. Then we are going to publish that bracket on Twitter. We're at Warriors Huddle. We'd ask you guys to fill it out if you don't mind. And then next week when we actually argue this out, one of the opinions that we will be presenting is what the audience has done. So here, boys is our eight-man bracket for the best fictional player of all time, the one seed. And I'm not going to say prohibitive favorite, but it's going to be a hard out in this tournament. Jesus Shuttlesworth, 6'5", 205-pound shooting guard out of uh, the movie He Got Game, our second. in high school on the island. That's that's exactly right. And as if you guys can't already tell, I shared some of this with Connor, and he has been vociferous about how there's no question that Shuttlesworth is going to take this tournament. But I don't think he's right, boys. I'm just I'm going to put that out there, but I don't want to get to the end yet. Number two, Neon Boudreaux, seven foot one, three hundred twenty four pound center out of Blue Chips. Number three. My pseudo favorite, I'm not going to go into why, a 5'4", 145-pound mystical beast, Teen Wolf, at the four seed, small forward, standing at 6'7", 194 pounds, Butch McRae, also from Blue Chips. At the five seed, one of my favorite characters of all time and a remarkably talented, if not undersized, shooting guard, 5'9", 182-pound, Billy Hoyle. At the sixth slot, Standing at six foot one, 185 pounds, the fresh Prince of Bel Air. At seven, six two, 193 pounds, Uncle Drew, stretching the age limit for the tournament. And the eight slot boys was hard. All right. And and Connor, I'm gonna admit to you, there's been there's been some fights behind the scenes, Matt. We couldn't necessarily figure out who the eight seeds were going to be. Marcus and Maxime got all pissy with the seven names I just read to you. And really figuring out who the eighth person was going to be was not an easy one. So what I've done is created a play-in game of 21. So here are the people who will be in that 20-win game. And then, you know, pick, pick who comes out of it. Here are the players. Jackie Moon, Shep, and Kyle from Above the Rim. Jimmy Chitwood, who I think comes out of it, but I'll leave it to you guys. Lola Bunny, undersized but remarkably talented. Jim Halpert from The Office. Soleil, 
from the Arab there, a guy who was way ahead of his time, by the way, a three-point center or three-point shooting center like in the late 90s, which we didn't see that frequently. And finally, Monica Wright from Love and Basketball. So if you are listening to this and you've got the chops to figure out the best fictional basketball player of all time, hop on at Warriors Huddle uh, on Twitter and fill out the bracket. Since we probably won't be able to hear your response, Connor, give me the pitch for Jesus Shuttlesworth. Why do you think he walks away with the title? Uh, It's one of the most iconic sports movies of all time. It's Ray Allen's only acting performance of all time because it was so good that he knew he could never do better. There's also uh, a young Rosario Dawson who's incredible, uh, one of Denzel Washington's better performances. And just there's just so many uh, iconic moments with Jesus Shuttlesworth that uh, it has to be him. I, I mean, you're talking about, we're not doing this as like Siskel and Ebert. It's not the best movie. I'm talking about the best player. And I'm telling you, Jesus Shuttlesworth can play. There's no question at all, but he's got anger issues. He's not Ray Allen. We saw him have problems in that 21 game against his father. If memory serves, his dad put up the first three points in that, and his dad was in prison. So I've got questions about Shuttlesworth, but we will get into that amongst the actual analysis uh Connor, I love having you on, man. You know that. I'd have you on every week if you liked. Assuming I am not alone and people out there need more Letourneau in their life, where should they turn? Yeah, uh, follow me on Twitter, con underscore cron. Read all my stuff at sfchronicle.com. I also have my own podcast, Warriors Off Court, which Bram was a guest on this week, and I thought he slayed it. So definitely go back and listen to that. It's an amazing time, and that podcast is fantastic. If you're not already listening, make sure to put it onto your phone. With that in mind, boys, go Warriors. Keep uh, safe, healthy, and sane, and hopefully we'll see you next week. Good, good. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions.
Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.